0: And. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Adrienne Bain, the host and creator of A Race Around the World, based on the true adventures of Nellie Bly and Elizabeth Bisland. She's also the creator of the popular travel podcast Strangers Abroad, as well as a writer, live storyteller, and solo world traveler. Adrienne, welcome to the show.
1: Oh my God, it's a delight to be here.
0: I'm so excited that you're here. And I was so pleased with myself when you mentioned A Race Around the World and you said two reporters from the 1880s. Mm-hmm. I said one. One of them's got to be Nellie Bly. 100%. And did she just have, like, amazing press? Like, why is it that she more than any— I feel like Nellie Bly is always showing up in media about that era mm-hmm. as just, like, a shorthand for, like, new women, yep. uh, urbanization, reporters. like. Yep. But surely she it, was, it wasn't just her and Ida B. Wells and nobody else, but th- I feel like they get the best press.
1: There's, like, a small percentage of them. Um, there's another woman— that, the, that Elizabeth Bisland runs into named Winifred Black, who's out in San Francisco. So, like, that's kind of all that came up in my own reporting and, like, research of it. But I will say that most female writers, journalists at the time, about 2% of journalists were women, and most of them wrote about, like, cranberry elixirs and how to sew a beautiful gown that looks like the Rockefellers. You know, it wasn't this hard-hitting racing upstairs to get the story kind of a MO, but Nellie Bly was cut different for sure. And she, the moment she like, she really elbows her way into being like a serious reporter because she looks at all, she hates doing like talking about the women's sphere. She's like, this is the most boring shit I've ever seen. And I like, don't want to talk about this. I don't care about dresses. Like I want to go undercover and expose corrupt politicians. So she really is one of her kind, and it's such an inspiration for women at the time based on, like, letters that were sent to her to the point where other women... She becomes like kind of—she's a she's from Pennsylvania. She gets a job in Pennsylvania. She moves to New York because her ambitions are too big. Um, and by the time she is an established reporter for the New York World, owned by Joseph Pulitzer, she is so popular that other women pretend to be her— and they'll just, like, send hotel bills and, like, dress charges to the New York world. So I kind of love that there is this little—and, sta- like, no one can trace anybody down back then, you know? So, like, I just love the fact that there's this little stack of receipts that the New York world begrudgingly pays because their female journalist is so good at what she does. And that's a wild way to take advantage of a system. But um, it's just one of the funny little stories that are— nestled in this incredible story. So she really was like, she had no, there were no limits to what she wanted to do.
0: That's remarkable. I also love that. I I am sure this is always the case, but it always feels like the golden age of scamming and fraud Mm. were long before you were born, just because (laughs) you you know the technologies at the time. But I was recently rewatching, you know, The Women, the 1939 George Cukor movie? No. It's great. It's wonderful. There's a great scene where Joan Crawford goes to this fancy store Uh and she wants to charge all of these things. And they just ask her for the name and address of a man, any man. And she's just like, oh, you know, Paul Smith, Wall Street. Boom. And then it's just like, great. This like, And it just feels like you could just like give you, a name yep. and an address like, oh, 10 Wall Street. And they'd be like, we will send him we a bill. We that, yeah. And that was just, yeah. I mean, again, it was a movie. Presumably it was not uh, accurate down to the minute of how people lived, but I, I like to believe that if I went back in time, I could just say, "Charge it to L.A. Bly."
1: Exactly. Do one little scam. Yeah. If I was to go back in time, this is how I would spend it: just one tiny scam. And just all I want to
0: do is That's abuse some honor systems, just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, I will try not to think about scams and frauds that I would like to perpetrate against the public while we are trying to yeah. advise people. Yeah. I, I think our first question today is uh, complicated and 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 thorny in a way that we should probably try to like keep our expectations limited in terms of like we can offer counsel and suggestion but this right. is going to be a while uh before things get really better
1: yeah totally our, our
0: second two questions i think are maybe more of a piece with one another and they're they're a little bit more sort of like what do i do about this one thing right now um and and while they're not fun exactly i do think they'll potentially uh come into your remit and especially in terms of like traveling and traveling solo yeah. and dealing with like different expectations uh, as well as sort of where's the line between my rights and somebody else's rights totally. when am i being appropriate when am i being inappropriate etc so I'm, I'm 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 trying to find a way to make sure that we're speaking to some of your expertise yeah no
1: worries Wonderful. oh my god i just love talking so great we can just talk i can know?
0: accommodate that not a problem <laughs> So the subject of our first letter is emotionally exhausted, which seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. I recently ended my relationship after eight years. I'm 48 and they're 49. Neither of us is working right now, and my ex has a difficult-to-diagnose health issue that leaves them briefly exhausted for an hour or two once a day. Their support network is threadbare, and their only family is out of state. I do not want to force them out of the house, and I worry about their future. This mirrors the not-great dynamics of our relationship. We were in couples therapy for three years and identified a codependency whereby I tried to anticipate their every need and, quote, pre-compromised with them on all of them. I didn't see another way to be. Last year, I started transitioning. I'm a trans woman, and it's the best decision I've ever made. At first, my partner, who is genderqueer, was somewhere between neutral and supportive, but as I started to come into myself, we discovered we didn't have good tools for disagreeing. We tried to work on this, but there was still a pattern of anger and confrontation on their end, and I kept having to de-escalate what I considered to be increasingly manipulative behavior. Hmm. I started talking to friends about it, and they agreed with me. When we tried to discuss this, my ex was defensive. Oh, you think that was angry? You'll know when I'm angry, or I'm just a direct person, etc. I blamed myself for not being able to meet their needs, but finally realized I had to end things. So now I have this person in my house who I still care for but don't want here. I want to set them up for as much success as I can, but I don't know where the line between that and being taken advantage of is. If you have any advice on how to walk this particular tightrope, I would appreciate it. A lot of there there.
1: There's so much here.
0: Yeah, what do you think of as sort of like a a first order of business that you would want to encourage this letter writer to do, whether that's research or or therapeutic or interpersonal? Where would you want them to start?
1: Oof. I mean, I feel like this person is being very self-aware of like, look, at I have these issues of codependency, and I have these issues of communication with this person. But I still kind of, if I may, I still kind of hear a lot of the codependency coming out of this letter by being like, how can I set them up for support? Their family isn't close. They don't have a lot of like connections close to where they live. So part of me is like, like you can't take that on as somebody, especially because it kind of feels like their ex-partner is not really offering the same to this person. I would definitely continue to like go to therapy to talk about it, but what I would advise is, like, how can you channel all of the energy you're putting into caring about this person's feelings and well-being and help channel it into finding them another place to live, you know? Because, like, that—at the end of the day, you both have chosen not to be together anymore, and in order for you to, like, both thrive down your new paths, like, it it cannot be together in any— realm space or environment. So I would channel the energy towards how do we find them maybe getting help them get a job that they feel like they're physically able to do and getting them a new place to live.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel both like I want to respect the letter writer says that you know, neither of us is working right now and right. my ex has health issues. Right. So I, I absolutely, letter writer, am with you. I do not want to suggest uh, tack up a 30-day notice on your totally. ex's bedroom door and say, get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm not really worried that you're on the verge of doing that. Based on what you've told us about your history, letter writer, and where your sort of priorities are now, it doesn't sound like you're in any real danger of doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I want to advise you towards a path that is reasonable and clear with your ex, but that does not place the burden on you of, well, now I've got to find my ex a new place to live. Right. Or I've got to get my ex in in touch with their out-of-state family or help them, you know, with their diagnoses. You know, this is one of those slightly cruel-to-be-kind situations where just as you are breaking up, um, you can wish your ex well. But part of what that means is you are not in the business of solving problems together. Yeah. And that is appropriate and normal for a breakup. So I think if there's a part of you that feels like I'm not really allowed to push on moving out until my ex gets a job or finds some money on the ground or suddenly comes into an inheritance, like that that might never happen. Yeah. Um. So I think this is going to have to be a place for you to lean on in therapy. How do I find a way to stick to Again, like a reasonable amount of notice uh, in terms of like this is and, – and, and so all of this is to say I think you're going to need to probably consult a lawyer or at oh, well, least yeah. – I, I don't mean in the sense that you're going to be taking your ex to court. Right. But depending on what state you live in. Right. And, and based on this letter, my impression was that she owns the house, the letter writer does. I
1: was not – I was kind of like why is the letter writer saying that they are in control of the – House.
0: I mean, th- my sense just was like she owns the house, okay. And her ex has been living with her because okay. it's now I have this person in my house, and okay. I-, I feel like usually if it's like we're both on the lease of an apartment, right? They'll mention that in a letter. I see. and when somebody says someone's in my house, unless I've given been given reason to think otherwise. Okay. Uh, now, if this is truly just the two of you are on a lease together, uh, find out when your lease is up and yeah. make your own arrangements. Yeah. Um. That would be easier. Right. But if you do own the house – and again, that was sort of my guess because she says neither of us is working right now. Right. And if you own the house, maybe that wouldn't be quite the same problem. Sure, sure, sure. Anyways, we are slightly speculating. So obviously, if this is not the case, take it with a grain of salt. But like if you are in the state of California, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to evict someone who doesn't want to go. If you live in another state, it might be less difficult. Right. So again, I think where possible, you should give someone more notice than the law requires just because it is genuinely difficult to find a new place to live. But I really do think like you should find out what do I owe my ex legally? Don't violate the law. Uh, Give your ex whatever notice and opportunities the law entitles them to. But find out what that law is and then follow it. So uh, again, just like look into that. I don't know what state you're in, but if you own the house— and your ex has been living there for years and it, there's even been like a, a an acknowledgement between the two of you of like financial hardship. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot harder. Um, and again, I, hopefully this is the sort of thing where you can say to your ex, um, I want to give you enough notice to look for another place on your own. Right. Here's your written notice of like, I don't know, 180 days, right? Like really trying to to give them a long runway. Yeah. But then to really stick to it and to figure out with your therapist, how do I make sure I stick to it? If my ex wants to respond to that with, but what will I do? How will I keep myself from saying, I don't know, obviously I can't, you know, commit to this date until right. I've helped you solve this problem. Right. And if you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, you'll need to figure out how you're going to do that because you're you're not in the business of solving your ex's problems anymore.
1: You're not. And I feel like it does kind of, tell me if I feel like, if you agree with the vibe of this, but it sounds like the ex is not terribly motivated to like, I envision like someone sleeping on a couch and being like cool with it and all of their clothes are in the living room. Yeah. So I do think, yeah, like a a nudge, a wide berth of a day, a wide berth of time to be like, hey, right, you have six months to like find a new place. And ultimately, like, if you do still care for this person, you just don't want to build resentment. Like, it doesn't sound like it was the cleanest breakup to begin with. But, like, if you still care about this person's well-being and maybe there's some world where, like, you can be amicable in the future. Like, you don't want the resentment of, like, this person won't leave my house, you know. And ultimately, like, if you want to maintain friends, then that is also something to consider the longer that they're there. Yeah, I was very thrown by the, like, this health issue was vague. And I was like, I don't, I can't gather what that could be. I couldn't either. You know. Yeah.
0: My sense was sort of like, this is potentially either part of why they're not able to work right now. Or right. it has made looking for work difficult. Right. Um, and or has just been like. That's on my mind. I don't want to, like, kick someone out with 24 hours notice right. who, like, can't keep a roof over their head, which, yeah. again, I think is a good impulse. Yeah. That's, that's a good, compassionate approach. Yeah. Um, but really, I think, like, leaving aside all of the interpersonal stuff, this is a question of tenants' rights. Yeah. So, again, just, like, consult the law, talk to a lawyer, find out what you owe your ex in terms of giving them adequate notice, and then do that. And that's it. You don't have – to like the good news here is you don't have to work on your communication issues with your ex anymore because it's your ex. You don't have to worry about their problems. And I don't mean in the sense of like go, fuck off, I don't give a shit about you. But in the sense of I would never encourage somebody to get really involved in solving their very recent ex's problems because you two just agreed to break up. That kind of means among other things that you're not invested in a future together that you don't have the same story of what your relationship looks like and you're not really well-equipped to help each other beyond just the sort of basic respect and care that you would want to give to any tenant um, yeah. or roommate. So uh, I think you will be able to deal with and process your own resentments about the way that your ex handled anger in your own time. Yeah. But that just doesn't have anything to do with what do I need to do here as a landlord?
1: Yeah. I so- I'm i sorry that I did advise like Help them find a job, like, that isn't their job, but, like, anything to get the train moving a little bit. I
0: get that. But, but it, I, again, that's just also, like, it's not knows how advice. long that could
1: take. Totally. Yeah. I take that back. I take that back, letter writer.
0: Understandable. Especially—they were together for eight years. I get it.
1: I can't—there's so much time there, and there's so many, like, deep-rooted patterns and behaviors. Mm-hmm. But, like, my parents are horticulturists. You got to rip the plant out by the roots, you know? And, like— yeah. Yeah. I think a wide berth of like, hey, I was once asked, I had like a roommate who once asked, who like had a girlfriend. They wanted the whole space to themselves. They gave me three months heads up. Mm-hmm. And that was like honestly a generous amount of time. So, yeah, I think it's just like, you got to be, you got to be firm and you got to put their foot down. And like, even if this person, even if your ex leaves and you don't feel like they're set up for success, like, that's not your burden anymore because they are your
0: ex. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think giving them lots of advance notice, mm-hmm. being clear, all of that's good, it also doesn't necessarily mean that your ex is going to leave in a good situation. And I'm sorry yep. about that, too. That's also hard. I don't know what their future is going to look like, and I can't guarantee anything about their future. Yeah. But I also know that it is okay to break up with someone, and it is okay to commit to a breakup, yep. by which I mean like break up and then actually break up. Yep um and so again uh, i don't i don't want you to boomerang to the other side and say you know because my ex has manipulated me i'm actually going to give them like 24 hours notice and just turn them out onto the right. street i would not encourage you to do that but neither would i say oh if if they want to have a lot of long conversations about how you two talk and handle conflict you've got to indulge that you don't you broke up yeah and I just think one of the worst things that a person can go through yeah. is constant processing with the recent ex. Yes. I've seen it happen, I've done it myself. Yep. It doesn't make anybody happy. It doesn't yep. feel good. It just it's like obsessively scratching an itch and thinking eventually I'm gonna fix this. And it's just like, frankly, the best thing that you can give them is adequate notice. Yep. And then and then, then same for you. Like you deserve to be out of this relationship.
1: Yeah. Do we think that they're like That the letter writer in writing this letter is a little bit self-sabotaging the breakup because they're like, I don't want to kick them out. Like they're still in a little bit of like the codependency seat of it, you know? And like by not forcing them to move out, then the breakup isn't official, official real because they are still technically living together. So I feel like with that, too, I would definitely like what Danny was saying. Flag that for your therapist, you know, if you if therapy is like the right track and you feel great with that. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even know that we need to frame it just yet as potential sabotage so much as just you're starting something new. Which is uh, you are beginning to separate from a relationship where in the past you have bent over backwards to accommodate someone else. That's difficult and new. And that also requires – it's not just like breaking up with someone you don't live with where it's just like I'll come get my stuff and then delete your number. Right. Uh, It it requires more of a process. And you do have to take into account like the length of time it's going to take someone else to try to find a a backup. But again, the difference between I'm going to give my ex – More than just the bare minimum of the law, but I'm also going to stick to the clarity of like, this is the move out date versus I'm going to engage in an open ended, who knows how long this will take process whereby I help my ex get a job and find a new apartment Um, that I think would be an inappropriate continued entanglement. So less about sabotage and more about how do you just continue the, you've already started the ball rolling. You did the breakup. There is a little bit more to come. It's not just one and done. You will have to actually stop living together. But you can do that. You can take steps towards making that happening. And I think to that end, like, talk to your friends, get additional support. If you feel like, I'm going to have a really difficult time, you know, get extra support around that. Make sure that you're clear and put things in writing and that you, Mm -hmm. you know, give your ex all of the advance notice that they are entitled to and that you don't violate any state laws. And then enjoy the silence and the peace once you two are no longer living together. And I hope that your next partner or partners or next long period of singleness is great and everyone's wonderful about your transition yeah. and not neutral slash iffy. Yeah. Uh, I want better than that for you. So good luck, letter writer. I'll take us to our next one, which I think is a little bit easier. It might be a little bit shorter.
1: Yeah.
0: And I I think actually that the letter writer kind of already knows what the answer is and Mm -hmm. just like needs to hear it. Yeah. But it's sort of just the basic problem of like, I I live in the world. Yeah. The world is loud. I wish it weren't. What can I do? Subject is sleepless, but not in Seattle. I'm a white woman and I've recently moved into a predominantly black and Latino neighborhood. Almost every night, neighbors park next to my house and blast music loud enough to rattle my windows. A group of guys sit around the car smoking, drinking, and chatting, usually until midnight. I need to wake up at 5 a.m. for work. I've tried to speak with them about it, but there's a language barrier, and it's a bunch of drunk guys at night, and I'm a single woman. I'm not going to call the cops. I don't want to be the white lady who comes in and demanding the neighborhood change. Do I have any options other than earplugs?
1: I have so many feelings about this. I am somebody who is very sensitive to noise. So the choice of living in Brooklyn is like, when I get upset about how loud it is, I remind myself that I I voluntarily choose to be here, you know, because like when you move to someplace, like it comes with a lot. It's not like I want Brooklyn to be quiet right now and like everyone's going to be quiet. You have to know what you have signed up for. I feel for this letter writer because I also live on a very loud street where there's like fire fighters and fire trucks and ambulances like go off pretty frequently and I live across the street from a grocery store so there's always tractor trucks going through mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily control it and I have also lived with someone who would be inebriated and blast their music and let me tell you the last thing that they want to hear is to turn it down so you don't want to cause any conflict especially because like you're relatively new here i also understand this like conflicting feeling of being the white lady who's like frustrated by something and feeling like your anger is not going to be taken seriously and you're going to be looked at as a karen even though like it is totally okay to feel like my windows are rattling and i need to go to sleep now But ultimately, like, you can only control yourself. And I also totally feel the like, hey, I don't want to have to deal with a whole bunch of drunk guys when I am alone. Like, that you cannot control. My question is like, I'm curious how long you've lived there. And if you are attached to this place, maybe you move to a different corner of a neighborhood that's like a little bit quieter the first chance you get. But something that I've literally considered doing is getting, like, thicker pane windows. So, like, if you have moved there kind of recently, maybe you could talk to your landlord and be like, hey, now that I've been here for a little bit, I've noticed that it gets pretty loud at night. Is there any way that, like, maybe we could, you could get me new windows, thicker pane? I remember being in this, like, apartment in the East Village that lived over a club and you couldn't hear anything. So that is kind of like, I know that is like at your expense. Hopefully it might be at your landlord's expense, but like if you move out and your landlord wants a new person, like they're going to have to deal with the noise as well of any kind. So another thing that you could definitely do is like get yourself the nicest pair of noise-canceling headphones. I personally sleep with a white noise maker earplugs and a fan on. Like, I really white-noise my room out. Maybe try to move your bed as far away from the noise as possible. But, like, ultimately, only you can control yourself. And it is really frustrating because there was never a collective agreement amongst humans of, like, hey, we have all of these things that make a lot of noise. Is that good for us when it is in public spaces? Like, there has been no collective conversation with that, and a lot of people— I sometimes feel like I have to white knuckle my way through somebody else's noise when we're sharing a public space. Mm -hmm. And that's just like a conversation that like collectively we have not had. And we've just like accepted like, okay, this person is blasting their music. Like no one's going to tell them to stop. And it's a very strange position we've kind of all put ourselves into. But ultimately, all you can control is yourself get a nice pair of noise-canceling headphones, get thicker windows, and see when is your lease up.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's, I think there's a reason that the letter writer said, uh, I don't want to be the white lady who comes in demanding the neighborhood change. And so I think, you know, you say letter writer, I've tried to talk to them about it, but there's a language barrier. So it's not really clear to me to what extent like, I don't get a lot of clues about, like, how did that conversation go? Right. Have you ever just, like, said hi outside of that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like, you moved into a neighborhood where, like, a big group of people do something pretty regularly. Um. And so I just, I agree. Like, frankly, if you did call the cops, I don't think that would stop anything no. either. I think that just means, like, three hours later, the cops would wake you up with a bunch of fucking sirens. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And then they'd be like, well, there's no one here. So, right. you know, th- and that's a best-case scenario. Yeah. And so— I agree. I don't think that's going to do much good. It's not like there's one person who's bothering everybody. This is like a thing that people on the block do.
1: It's like a community thing.
0: Yeah. And frankly, like, they're done at midnight. That's not an unreasonable amount of time to be like out in public space. I get that it sucks that it's right in front of your house. Yeah. But I think, again, the most you can do is like, if you want to, you could, I think, get in the habit of just like saying hi earlier in the day. like like You don't have to be going out at like 11 p.m. And again, like, If you're like, no, we did not have a good interaction. I don't want to interact more. You certainly don't have to. But like if you happen to walk past them at like 6 p.m. and it's mostly pretty laid back, if you just want to like briefly say hi, I think that might go a little way towards like just general sense of like getting to know people in the neighborhood. Again, if you don't want to, I would encourage you to get to know some of your other neighbors so that you have a little bit more of a sense of yourself as someone other than the white lady who just moved here yeah um so i think that that will also potentially help but yeah beyond that that's part of the problem of like living in neighborhoods is other people make noise when you don't want to and vice versa and i i really do get it like i'm also kind of a light sleeper and i often get really frustrated when i wake up but it's it's not like my neighbors are having huge parties every night until like 3 a.m like they They drink and smoke and talk until midnight and then they go to bed. It just happens to conflict with your unusually early schedule, which is a bummer. But short of trying to ask them to turn it down, I don't have any other solutions. And so I think, again, the real issue here, aside from just the usual frustration that comes from living in a city, is how do I feel like anything other than the white interloper in this neighborhood whose only relationship to this neighborhood is potentially one of like punishment I think it's good to be aware of that and yeah. to not want that. I commend you on not wanting that. And so I would just encourage you, don't be that person. Don't be that lady. Get to know your other neighbors. If not these guys, other people. Have interactions with people that are not just like, I go to bed early and I only live here because I have to. Right. Um, be friendly and welcoming and try to find ways that you can appreciate your neighbors and get to know them better. And get great headphones. And maybe switch your room. Like... If, if if it were me, I would consider, is there another room in the house that could potentially be a bedroom that's further away? Yeah. Um, and then that's my last one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like the, getting to know your neighbors and just, like, that—I feel like it's so—when people make, like, a lot of noise, it's just really easy to vilify people from a distance. Mm-hmm. And, like, putting a face and a name is just going to be like, okay, this is the world that I have— Moved into. I want to get to know everybody and like, see where everybody else is at. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. When you get to know people slightly better, and then it's just no longer. Oh, there are people who live near me who inconvenience me so much. Just like these are the people who live near me, and we all inconvenience each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So I I think that's my final thought on the on the matter. Letter, I think you already know you don't have a lot of options here in terms of getting other people to accommodate your schedule, but hopefully you will be able to slightly minimize some of the noise uh, and eventually potentially get to know some of your neighbors and just again i really want to stress take your own temperature in terms of talking to the guys uh, in a friendly way if you don't want to do that absolutely do not take my advice you know talk to other people that's fine (laughs) We have a little bit of an update or rather a suggestion from someone who is listening to a previous letter. If you don't mind, I'd like to read. So this one says, on a recent episode, death by stable employment, a letter writer mentioned that she needed to work extra hard so that she wouldn't let her coworkers down. I have about 10 years of management experience and am in a senior role at a major media company. And I hear this all the time, but although it's well-intended, this train of thought actually often has the opposite of its intended effect and can even be harmful to the letter writer's coworkers, not to mention the letter writer herself. Right now, the letter writer's manager only has three concrete pieces of data. One, how many full-time and part-time employees she has. Two, how much it costs to employ them. And three, what results she gets from them. If the manager is new, like in the letter in question, and is trying to figure out how to appropriately staff her team, she doesn't have the right data points to help her figure this out. Or even if she knows she does need more employees, she has no data points to go and make a case to her own boss or finance lead or whoever that is that she needs a bigger team. It's really hard to ask for an extra headcount when on paper it looks like you have a team that can handle it all. So by doing the extra work, you're actually helping to create a system that can make it harder to ever get you and your coworkers the support you really need. I know it's hard for conscientious employees to let things slip through the cracks, but I hope this note can let the letter writer let go of some guilt in doing so. Just let your manager know what you can do in 40 hours of work a week and then let them do the job of actually managing to find a way to get the rest done. Good luck. I think that's really useful. I
1: thought that was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and to just be reminded of like things need to fall through the cracks uh, so that they can fill the cracks with employees right (laughs) Um, hopefully i didn't i didn't think that this was coming from a place of like oh letter writer this is on you you've made this worse by being so conscientious Mm. just sort of like explaining here's how that can be counterproductive so letter writer if you're listening none of this is to say that like you've done a bad job by working extra hard just like why it's actually in your own self interest to to let go of it yeah um and it's just you know it's not a problem i've ever had i've i don't I don't historically go above and beyond. <laughs> like,
1: You don't take on other people's work?
0: I, I admire those who do. Yeah. But no, I've never been like, oh, I couldn't, I, I can understand it as an issue that other people can have. Yeah. I'm remembering the last office job I had uh, where I just had a spreadsheet where every week I'd be like, boy, I should really be keeping up with this because it's not getting done <laughs> and uh, somebody should do it. So, Oh, my God. Um, I mean, I'm not there anymore. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I was I was rightly shunted into a different line of work. Yeah, uh, but
1: yeah, yeah no, yeah. I'm
0: I'm, I've got lots of experience letting things slip through the cracks. So on that note,
1: yeah. I'm going to
0: let this one <laughs> slip through the cracks. I'm going to say we did enough today. We're done. Yeah, great. We've advised people.
1: We've advised people.
0: Adrian, thank you so much. I'm very glad that we solved everyone's problems, and uh, I hope that you have a problem free week.
1: Oh my God, thank you. Same to you, and thank you so much for having me on. Of
0: course, I almost said problem free the right way, but I said problem free.
1: Problem free.
0: Which is not ideal. <music> Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Anything gets that gets you away from this guy, I think yeah. is great. So talk to a management. Yeah. Talk to your other neighbors. Yes. A- and again, I get the part of you potentially just is like, I don't want him to like talk to me about this again. So I'm worried if I talk to other people, he might try to corner me and say, I hear you're telling other people right. and that would be totally. worse. Yep. But just like, this is one of those things where like, Anything you can do to get other people looking out for you and on your side and helping you yeah. out and, like, screening for this guy is good. Yeah. So I would encourage you to do any and all of the following. Talk to management. Talk to other people who live in the complex. Yeah. Um, especially, like, other women. And, again, I don't mean that in a punitive sense of, like, knocking on total stranger's door if you feel really uncomfortable and saying, like, I see that you let this guy walk your dog. You have to know this. I just mean if there's anyone else that your girlfriend knows at all or that you're kind of friendly with just as both a sort of, like, warning to them and also to let them know, like, can you help me out if you ever do happen to see him? Do not ever say hi to him again. Nope. Walk away from him whenever you see him. Do anything you have to to get away. Uh, Spend less time around there. To me, this is, like, that is so freaky that he did that in an elevator. Yeah. Yes. I, I just want you to feel high levels of permission to talk to other people about this. Yeah. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate dot com forward slash mood.